You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. Once again, it's great to see all of you here this afternoon. We're glad that you could um, witness those baptisms and join us as we worship God. As I said before, my name's Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. You know, this time of year, this Christmas season, is a time when many of us indulge in certain guilty pleasures. And I know that for uh, many of you, one of those guilty pleasures is the, the seasonal movies on the, the Hallmark Channel, right? All of the holiday movies. And I don't watch a ton of them, but I, I understand the vibe of sort of sappy and sentimental and just getting you in the mood for the season of Christmas. My wife was telling me about one of these uh, a couple weeks ago. It's called Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart. And yes, it's inspired by the song of the same name. And, and like many of these holiday rom-coms, it follows a pretty predictable plot line. You know, it's a, it's a, a single woman who is uh, down on her luck and lonely and looking for love and suddenly Mr. Wright comes along and um, they, they get to know each other and, she, and he shows up at all the right times and is helpful and is kind and is winsome and uh, he's a bike courier. He's like, you know, this really cool guy. And, um, and, and so it's, it's just um, everything's on, on the right path uh, until she starts to have some questions. He's, he, they don't really seem to be connecting in quite the right way. And then through a series of flashbacks towards the end of the movie, what you find out is that uh, the reason that he, he seems a little bit aloof is that he's actually dead and he's a ghost because last Christmas he had literally given her his heart he was an organ donor. It's amazing how good that is. Like, the writer's room, when they came up with that, just had to go bananas. So it's, it's easy enough to kind of make fun of some of these tropes and these, um, the, these movies and how sappy they are. And, and, and also to begin to feel ourselves some sense of superiority, like, well, I would never you know, think that way about the holidays. And I was, I was thinking that when Sarah told me about this movie until I read uh, some words from one of my favorite writers, this guy named Frederick Beekner, And he said this, that the world speaks of holy things in the only language it knows. And I thought about that for a minute and I said, you know, that's what sappy Christmas movies are doing. And that's what sentimental Christmas songs are doing. And that's what all this talk of like holiday vibes is about. It's speaking of the holy in the only language that it knows. And so here in the church, we have an opportunity to point to the deeper truth of what all those things are longing after. All of those movies and shows and feelings, what they're lisping towards. We know the answer. 
we know that the answer is in Jesus, the one who is God with us. And so <clears throat> this year at City Church, during the Christmas season, we've been tracing this theme of God with us. And a couple weeks ago, we saw how God is with us from the very start. Built into creation is a God who wants to know his creation and his people, us. And last week, we talked about how when everything uh, makes it hard to believe, when we feel alone and afraid and scared, God is with us nevertheless in those moments. And today, I want to talk about how God is with us most fully and most God is with us in Jesus. And the way we're going to do that is by reading some verses from the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25, and then we're going to flip to the very end of Matthew and read just a couple of verses in chapter 28 as well. These verses are um, also printed in the worship guide, and you're welcome to follow along there as I read. Here's what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And now turning to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we believe that you are with us here in this place, that you have been with us as we've worshiped and as the seal of baptism was placed on these boys' heads today. We ask you now by your spirit to continue to be with us alongside your word, that you would teach us and comfort us and help us, fill us with hope, that we would be reassured that you are with us and that we would be compelled to move out and be with others. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this passage in Matthew chapter 1 is the centerpiece of this idea of God with us in Jesus and the, it really comes because of verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this was a prophecy we looked at last week. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. And in many ways, it may have remained kind of a, a forgotten prophecy in the book of Isaiah, were it not for Matthew 
picking up that prophecy, that one little verse, and applying it to Jesus so that we would understand who Jesus was when he came to earth. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about three ways that we know that God is with us in Jesus. We know it because of the incarnation, we know it because of the crucifixion, and we know it because of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Those are three ways that we know that God is with us. So first off, let me talk about how we know that God is with us in Jesus through the incarnation. Through, and the incarnation is just a fancy word of, of um, Jesus becoming human, of him taking on flesh. One of the clearest articulations of the idea of the incarnation comes from another gospel, John 1. And that's where it says that the Word, that's Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what it means, that God entered into history. And he did that so that we would know that he is with us. My friend Frederick Beekner, he also said this, that to dismiss Christmas is to dismiss a face. What does he mean by that? Well, it means to dismiss the actual human face of Jesus Christ, because that's what Christmas is about. It's about the, the fact that God himself became like us, that he took a human face and a human body and human emotions and was fully human all the way down to the core. It means that Jesus Christ came with human sinew. It means that Jesus Christ came with the same hinged thumbs that you and I have. It means that Jesus Christ came as a child and even cried and experienced colic the way that human children do. All of this to show us that God is with us. God is like us. In the book of Hebrews, there's some of the, um, some of the clearest articulation of why the incarnation had to happen. Let me read a couple verses. It says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise took of the same things. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. It was necessary for God to become human in Jesus Christ so that we would know that God is with us. God is with us through the incarnation. You see, in many ways, what God was doing through Jesus Christ was speaking of holy things in the only language that we know. Uh, up to that point, this reality of God and a God with us remained distant and abstract. Sure, there was scripture about it, and there were promises about it, and there were experiences and dreams about it. But until Jesus was born in that manger, we didn't know the full meaning of God with us. And this then becomes the whole path of God's empathy towards us as humans, his crossing over and entering our territory 
to know and to suffer all the things that we suffer. Why? So that we would know without a doubt that God is with us. It's the same thing uh, as like when a parent or an adult kneels down to talk to a child, to look him in the eye and to see her face. It's that same experience that you have when you are uh, at a loss and feel like you're in a pit and that friend doesn't holler at you from up high but comes and joins you in the low place you are and lets you cry on their shoulder. This is the path of the incarnation that says, I know where you are. I've been where you are. And I am with you. We know that God is with us in Jesus, first of all, through the incarnation. But it doesn't end there. Because secondly, we know that same fact through the crucifixion. Going back to Matthew 1. As we read through that passage, did you notice that this child who is born is given two names? And these two names, in some ways, uh, appear in tension with one another. We're uh, told, first of all, uh, Joseph is told in this dream in verse 21, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. And then in verse 23, we're told that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So which is it? Is it Jesus or Emmanuel? What's the name of this child who was born? How do we choose? Well, what we realize through this passage is that these two names mutually interpret one another. We need both of them because together they tell us who this son is truly is. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us because he is the one who saves us from our sins. He is Emmanuel, God with us, because he is the one who is for us on the cross. He had to be made just like us in human form, as Hebrews told us, in order to be a faithful high priest. He couldn't pay the penalty for our sin unless he was like us and with us. But the fullness of how Jesus is with us, we don't understand it solely with the name Emmanuel. We must read it alongside Jesus because he is with us to the very point of the cross. That's how we know the depth of his love the depth of his withness towards us. And there were hints of this ahead of time. It wasn't just Matthew who came up with this. But uh, we know from the prophet Isaiah, the very prophet who said, uh, who, who told us about this one named Emmanuel who was coming, a few pages later, it describes him and it says, oh yeah, he's going to be a suffering servant and he will bear the afflictions of the world. Even there in Isaiah, God with us and God for us are tied together. But friends, it isn't until the moment of the cross, it isn't until Jesus' crucifixion that we fully see how much God is with us. Because there in that moment, do you remember as Christ was hanging on the cross? On that day that the sun stood still? He exclaimed in horror in that moment. Do you remember what he said? He said, my God, my God, 
why aren't you with me? And the reason he said that is because in that moment, from a human perspective, Jesus was without the presence of God. Why? Because he was bearing the penalty and the punishment for all of our sins. Christ experienced that moment of being without God the Father so that you and I would know forever God is with us. It was the great exchange, the moment where Christ took the curse of sin upon himself so that he could give to us the righteous presence of God forever. We know that God is with us in Jesus through the incarnation and through the crucifixion. And finally, we know it through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And that's why I wanted us to read these verses at the end of Matthew 28. We've started here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, but the other bookend, at the very end, the same theme comes up, the same idea. Matthew wants to hit it one more time, and it's the theme of God is with us. And this moment in Matthew 28 is known as the Great Commission. It's where Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world. Jesus has died and he's been resurrected. He is uh, soon to be ascended into heaven. In his final instructions to them, he says, Go, um, make disciples, baptize everyone. And I am with you always. I am with you to the very end of the age. And what we come to find out in Acts... A few pages later in the Bible is that what, God, what Jesus is talking about in the Great Commission, he fulfills at Pentecost when he sends his spirit to the disciples. You see, it is in the spirit, it is in the Holy Spirit that we have the present reality of God with us. And this is true for everyone who believes. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus gives you the spirit. Why? To seal to you forever that God is with you. You see, the Holy Spirit and living in the Spirit is our present experience of God with us. Here's why I think that's important, because sometimes when we hear that language of the Spirit, when you think, well, what is the Holy Spirit? We think in terms of uh, dramatic gifts or flashes of visions. But really, the presence of the Spirit comes to us in everyday mundane ways. That God is saying, I am with you. I am with you. And in case you forgot, I am with you. That's what the Spirit is meant to do for us. And His presence makes all the difference in the world. We could spend a lot of time talking about what the, what the Spirit does in the life of a believer. I want to I hit on just two things. The first is that the Spirit is a comforter. Do you ever feel like you need comfort? Do you ever feel like you need help? Jesus gave the Spirit to his disciples for those very moments. In the book of John, in the Gospel of John, again, as Jesus knew that he was going to be leaving his disciples, he said this to them. He said, God the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. Someone to help you understand my word. Someone that when you feel overwhelmed and dismayed and troubled by all the things that are going on in your life, a helper, a comforter to be at your side, a strong advocate, a friend. That is how the Spirit shows up even today in the life of believers. Here's the other thing that the Spirit does, right? It offers comfort. The second thing that the Spirit does 
over and over again in the life of a Christian is brings hope. Brings hope. Do you feel hopeless today? Are the circumstances in your life such that you have trouble seeing the light? Being hopeful about tomorrow? The Holy Spirit is a gift given you to by God that you would have hope. The clearest place that we can see this, or one of the clearest places we can see this, is in Romans 5. And Romans 5 begins, it's this chapter all about suffering. It's all about the hardship of life. But it says, you know what, rejoice in your suffering, because your suffering is going to produce endurance. And endurance is going to produce character, and character is going to produce hope. And hope will not disappoint you. Because of the love of God has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. Where do we find hope? To get out of bed tomorrow. To face that situation at work. To interact with that family member that drives you crazy. The Spirit of God. The Spirit sealing to you that every room you walk into, you don't walk into alone. But God is with you in Jesus Christ. God is with us through the Spirit, the Spirit that brings comfort and the Spirit that brings hope. All right, so uh, hopefully I've convinced you in these three ways that God is with us in Jesus Christ. So what, you say? What difference does it make? Well, here's what I've been saying all throughout this little series on God with us. The, the, the key application, the key takeaway for us is that because God is with us in Jesus Christ, we must be with others. You see, it's meant to buoy us and strengthen us in this world, and it's meant to send us out and give us a posture of how we are to be in the world. Because we know God is with us, we must be with others. And to understand that or to unpack that, we could simply use these three categories one more time. We must be with others through the incarnation. What do I mean by that? Well, remember at the start of this message, I said that the world speaks of holy things in the only language it knows. I'm convinced as well that the world hears of holy things only in the language it knows. So what I mean by that is we must incarnate. We must embody, we must enflesh the good news of the gospel for other people in ways that they can understand it. In ways that they will hear it. I'm often convicted that in my life, I'm often barking answers at my neighbors and at the world to questions that they aren't even asking. Because I haven't listened to them. I've dismissed them. I've come to conclusions about who they are and what they believe. Rather than following the model of Jesus in incarnating God with us towards them. I also said earlier that to dismiss Christmas is to dismiss a face. We could flip that around and state it positively as well. To embrace Christmas is to embrace a face. First, it means to embrace the face of Jesus that has come in human form, right? But as we apply that, it's also to embrace the faces of our neighbors and our family members 
and the faces that we see in Richmond in the world. You see, so, so enamored are we with the face of Christ, he who has come to be God with us, then we take and we bear that very image of Christ to the world, to others, by looking them in the face and loving them. What about the crucifixion? How do we bear that in the world? Knowing that uh, we have come to understand that God is with us through the crucifixion and believing that we have a responsibility to communicate that same truth to others, how do we follow the model of the crucifixion and the way that we live towards others? Well, it's as simple as this. Because we know that God has given himself in sacrificial love towards us, we give ourselves away in sacrificial love towards others. It's remarkable. It doesn't make any sense, but the gospel again and again says that the way that people are going to understand who God is is through weakness, is through death, is through service. Not from going to the highest place, but kneeling in the lowest place. Being born in a stable outside of Bethlehem. Dying on a hill outside of Jerusalem. The cross becomes our model of speaking of holy things in a language that other people can understand. I read a great example of this this week, this picture of self-emptying love. It was a story of a a 90-year-old grandmother and her younger sister, and her younger sister was near death, dying in a dementia ward. And it was the last time that these sisters would ever be together and the, the, the grandmother um, helped her younger sister onto the bed. And her feet were dangling off the edge of the bed. And she unlaced her shoes and took off her shoes and took off her socks and began to rub her feet. And then she lay her down in this bed, tucked her in. And her younger sister said, thanks so much. I think I need a little nap now. Right? That was love that incarnated this promise of God with us. It wasn't remarkable. No one saw it. It didn't make the papers. But it was a picture of taking the lower place, of communicating. God is with you. How do people know that? By us being with them. And finally, the third thing we can do is to live life in the Spirit every day, every week, to cultivate the presence of this comforter, the presence of this one who gives hope to the hopeless and the afraid. That's what we do towards other people because God has done that for us in Jesus Christ. And this is a hope that remains with people particularly through their suffering. And it's a hope that comes primarily through the word. So that as people in our lives, our friends, our church community, our neighbors, our city, as they suffer in this cursed world, in this fallen world, and surely they will suffer, we don't leave their side. We model God with us because the Spirit is with us. So we move towards the pain 
not with all the right words in and of ourselves or knowing the right things to do, but we move towards them. And we tell them about the words of the Bible that are true, knowing that the Spirit brings comfort through the Word of God. We're present with them. We walk beside them. And they can make it through what feels like unbearable suffering because they're filled with hope. Even when the darkness seems so dark and the dawn seems so distant, it's a hope that comes through the Spirit. Some of you know that earlier this fall, a few of us from City Church, we took a trip to Germany, a mission trip to visit some of our ministry partners. One of the most powerful moments of that trip for me was in Leipzig. Leipzig is a city in the former East Germany, and uh, many of you will know that it was under communist rule for about 50 years after World War II. And there's a little church in Leipzig, right downtown. It's called St. Nicholas Church. And in the 1980s, this communist uh, was oppressive and was trying to kick out all presence of spirituality and religion. There was a couple of pastors there who opened the doors of the church every Monday night. And they said, hey, if you want to come and read the Bible and pray, we're going to do that. Only a handful of people came for years and years. But slowly in the late 80s, that, um, that group started to grow. More and more people showed up on Monday evenings. They did the same stuff. They read the Bible together and they prayed. What were they doing? They were calling for the Spirit of God to give them hope to push back against the forces of communism. To believe that even though the communist regime had a foot on their throat, that that wasn't the end. And it was out of that church, St. Nicholas Church in Leipzig, Germany, that the peaceful revolution began. Because on Monday, October 7th, 1989, more than just a few people, more than a few dozen people gathered in fact, the church was filled with over a thousand people. And they did what they'd always done. They read the Bible and they prayed. And then they lit candles and they began to walk the streets of Leipzig. And when they opened the doors of the church, it wasn't just the thousands who were in the church, but it was tens of thousands of others who had gathered there. They think close to 75,000 people gathered in a peaceful revolution. And they walked around the city. And the communist soldiers looked on and they were helpless to do anything about it. They saw the numbers. They saw the faces. They saw the faces of image bearers of God who refused to give up hope and who changed the world. Because weeks later, the Berlin, fall, Berlin Wall fell. And communism was no more throughout the Eastern Bloc. Sustained. Why? By a few Christians who believed that God is with us. God is with us always. Even to the end of the age. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. More important, we thank you for the presence of Jesus with us even now by his Holy Spirit. And wherever we are today, we each come in with our own story, our own circumstances, our own situation, our own heartache, our own hopelessness. 
but Christ is enough for all of us. Help us to believe just for a minute now that you are with us and then send us out to be people who carry that message of witness to a hurting and watching world. We pray this all for the glory of your name, for the good of your church, and in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.